All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Great to see you this morning. You know, uh, last fall, we talked a little bit about the importance of planning a church and our plans to plant a church in North Texas and that that church would be called Cross Creek Church. Then a couple of weeks ago, we introduced J.J. McLeod to you, who is going to be the pastor and planter of Cross Creek Church. Well, now we've got some more good news. So, J.J., tell us. Absolutely. Well, we found a location that we believe is just going to be the perfect spot for God to do something incredible. It's going to be at Northwest High School in the southern part of Justin, um, right on I-35. Um, this is an amazing place. Um, the building is incredible because of the beautiful glass. The student union there is just set up. It's prime for a church to just come in there and, and to bring the good news to people that need Jesus. And so we're extremely excited about the location that God has provided for us. All right, so about that location, why is that spot so mission critical to what we're doing? Yeah, well, it's critical because if any of you guys live out in that area already, you already have seen just the, the rows and the fields of houses that have already come in. But the reality is, is that more are coming. And right now in Justin, over 62% of people are not engaged at all in any kind of religious service activity on any kind of regular basis. And so there's tons of lostness in that area. And there's really not that many churches either. So um, we just feel like this is the perfect place for us to just go and be a disciple-making church that's going to just transform a city. All right. So we are thrilled about that. If you live out in that area, you may want to be a part of helping plant this great new disciple-making church. So we're going to have lots of opportunities for you to uh, get information. You'll hear more about it also in your connect groups. But let's just be in prayer as we prepare and plan for that launch. Most likely, we're looking at some uh, pre-launches in August and then kicking off in September uh, there. So it's going to be an exciting time. So, J.D., why don't you uh, lead us in prayer for that? Absolutely. Lord, we just first of all want to thank you for who you are. Uh, you're so good to us every single day. Um, and we are so undeserving. And yet, every morning, your mercies, they're new. And I just love the song that we just sang uh, about the story that we have in you. And the reality is this, Lord, we're praying that Cross Creek would have um, a new story in that region um, that is about your kingdom. It's not about us, but it's about your kingdom moving forward. And it's about people coming to know Jesus. And it's about leading every generation to know and follow you. And so, God, we just pray that you would just put your hand of blessing on that in every single step of the way like you already have. And that you would send the people to us. Lord, you say that the, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So, Lord, we're believing that you're going to send the workers to, to work with us as we go and try to reach um, the Northwest ISD. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's sing JJ one more time, all right? Okay, let's get your Bible out and open it up to the book of Matthew chapter 19. That's where we're going to be this morning. Matthew chapter 19. And uh, I'll never forget uh, the day it happened. Uh, I was 10 years old. Uh, my parents had moved from, uh, we moved our family from Central Texas out to West Texas to a small town called Plainview. And it was in the summer. And so I really didn't know anybody except a few handful of people I had met at church so far. And I was in the backyard playing and I heard some kids laughing in the backyard next door. And so I went over there kind of curious to see what was going on. I looked through the, the slats in the fence and I saw her, this beautiful, dark-headed girl. 10-year-old girl. Uh, 
Uh, that was the first time I ever saw my wife, Liz. And uh, of course, we met uh, when school got started. We did choir together. Then we ended up having classes together. We grew up and became great friends. Ten years later, actually in the summer, uh, ten years from then, I was standing and I saw her again. But this time she was walking down an aisle and I was at the front of the church when we got married. And uh, now you fast forward uh, to today, we've been married 33 years today, or not today, 33 years we've been married. Our anniversary is actually in June, will be 34 years. And uh, we're just so thankful, right, for God's blessing uh, in our life. And as I look back on our marriage, I can say that marriage is, um, man, it's just one of the most beautiful, wonderful, uh, satisfying uh, deeply moving uh, experiences I've ever had. But also, uh, marriage is tough. Marriage can be difficult. It's work to keep a marriage together and keep it strong and, and satisfying. You know, marriage is a gift from God. Uh, and, and yet, many people struggle in their marriage. And all of us go through seasons where marriages go through difficult times. And so we're in, this se- we're in this series called Balance, and I want to talk today about balance in your marriage. You know, we said uh, a balanced life is a Christ-centered life. That's kind of the mantra that we've had throughout this whole series. And so what does it look like for Christ to be in the center of your marriage? You know, uh, if, if you were to step back for a minute, I, I can say those that are married in the room right here, there are three different categories of marriages in the room right now. One category are those that have a very strong marriage. Your marriage is solid, it's strong. On a scale from one to 10, you're an eight, nine, or 10. I mean, it's not perfect, but you're growing, you're working on it, it's getting better and better and better, and you've got a strong, vibrant, growing marriage. Uh, There are others that would probably be on the other end of the scale, you are in a struggling marriage. In other words, you're not sure if it's gonna make it. Your marriage has got a lot of hurt, got a lot of pain, there's a lot of distance happening here. And you are really afraid today whether your marriage is going to survive. And then there are those that are in the middle. Your marriage is probably stalled out. You know, you're not leaving tomorrow, but it's not really on fire like it used to be. You're kind of going through the motions, going through the patterns. You're committed to each other, but, but it's not passionate like it used to be. And you're just kind of stalled out in your marriage. But what I want to share with you today will really help you. Because this is really what Jesus tells us to do with regard to our marriage. How, how, what does Jesus have to say about your marriage? And what I want to share with you today, the simple principles today, will make a strong marriage stronger. It will help a struggling marriage find hope again and come back to life again, if you're willing to do it. And it will help that stalled out marriage move to another level, okay? So I want us to go to God's word, to what does Jesus say, about marriage. So the, we're in Matthew 19, uh, beginning at verse 1. If you're with me, say amen. amen. All right, Matthew 19, verse 1. This is God's word. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he departed from Galilee and went to the region of Judea across the Jordan. Large crowds followed him and he healed them there. And some Pharisees approached him to test him. And they asked, if, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? on any grounds. Now stop right there for just a minute. Uh, 
Jesus is in the late part of his ministry. He's just got a few months uh, to live. Uh, and because of that, he's moving out, out of the bounds of, the, of normal Judea, Galilee area. He's trying to av avoid and evade some of the religious leaders that were after him. So he moved across the Jordan into the area called Perea, uh, which is a lessly, uh, less populated area. And yet, though he went out there, the crowds continue to follow him. Verse 2, the crowds are pursuing him because they want him to do miracles. They wanted him to minister to them. And also, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, were pursuing him as well. And they approached Jesus, and, and they asked him a question. And they said, it, verse 3 says that they asked him this question to test him. It really wasn't so much a test as it was a trick. They were trying to find anything that they could use against Jesus, either to cause him to lose favor in the eyes of the people or to break the law of Moses and have some grounds to put him to death. And so they ask him this question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? Now, that's kind of a loaded question because in the time of Jesus, divorce was a hotly debated topic. In fact, there were two really basic schools of thought with regard to divorce. There was a more conservative view, really promoted by uh, Rabbi Shammai. And this conservative view was that there was never any grounds for divorce ever. That you should never divorce, and that there's no basis for divorce whatsoever. That was a very conservative view. And then there was what we would, I guess, call the more liberal view. This was promoted by uh, Rabbi Hillel. And in this view, he took a very broad approach to divorce and basically said, it's okay for you to divorce your wife for pretty much any reason that you would want to. In fact, we have some historical evidence that suggests that there was teaching there that, man, if she burned the toast, uh, you could divorce your wife. If she put too much salt on the meat, you could divorce your wife. If she let her hair down in public, if she didn't, wasn't as attractive as she used to be, if you wanted somebody else for any of these reasons, you could divorce your wife. Now, needless to say, this was quite popular among the men at the time, not so much with the ladies. Because, of course, to divorce your wife meant to send her away, and she had no one to take care of her, no one to provide for her. And so that's what they're bringing to Jesus. They're, they're really putting him right in the center of a very hotly debated topic. Jesus, which one are you going to go with? What do you think about this issue of divorce? Now, let me just stop and just say that divorce is still a very uh, felt need issue today. I think we have, in general, uh, a fairly liberal view of divorce. If you have irreconcilable differences, then you can, you can divorce your spouse. Uh, many of you grew up in homes that were touched by divorce. You grew up with, with a mom and dad that were divorced. And some of you have actually gone through the pain of divorce yourself, and you know the hurt and the pain that that brings. But I think that even as a culture, we are always thinking about this. It's always just under the surface, this issue of divorce. I, I was reminded of this last Sunday I don't know if you watched any of the Academy Awards, but as they were rolling out all the films of this last year and those that were received multiple nominations, there was one I think that received seven nominations and one Academy Award, and it was simply titled Marriage Story. But the film Marriage Story is not about marriage at all. It's all about a very long, drawn out, painful, painful divorce. 
And that touches our hearts because so many of us have gone through something like that. David Brooks, who's one of our American intellectuals, uh, he writes for The Atlantic and for lots of other uh, publications, just this last week wrote an article in The Atlantic and uh, its title is shocking. It's simply titled this, The Nuclear Family Was a Mistake. And he goes through in this lengthy article, like history of how families used to be together on the family farm. And then after the Industrial Revolution, they began to go into the cities and the family unit began to stretch out. And now since 1960, the really disillusion of the family and all the, the cultural chaos that's been created because of it. I think there is just on the minds of all of us this sense of divorce and marriage and what does God want and really that's what they're bringing to Jesus. Is it lawful, Jesus, for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? And so how is Jesus going to respond to this? What's he going to say? So let's look at it. Look at verse 4 is his response. Haven't you read, he replied, that he who created them in the beginning made them male and female? And he also said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So they say, Jesus, is it lawful? What, what do you say about this divorce issue? And I love what Jesus says. His first words are, haven't you read your Bible? All right. Hey, don't, aren't you supposed to know this? Haven't you read your Bible? And then instead of dealing with the divorce issue, he goes all the way back to Genesis, all right? All the way back to the beginning, and he reinstates what God said from the beginning, the purpose of marriage. In fact, he quotes Genesis chapter 2, where God saw that Adam was alone in the garden, uh, and, and though he had all of God's creation around him in the ultimate bachelor pad, he was still alone, and he says, it's not good for man to be alone, and he creates woman. And, and this is what Adam says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 23. And the man said, this one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Jesus took them all the way back to the beginning. You know, Vince Lombardi, probably the greatest football coach of all time, was known for starting every season holding up a football and saying, gentlemen, this is a football, right? He went back to the basics. John Wooden, probably the greatest basketball coach of all time, uh, was known for giving talks to his team at the beginning of the season on simple mundane things like how to tie your shoelaces. Why? He was going back to the basics. And here is Jesus, the greatest teacher of all time. When he's asked about marriage, he goes all the way back to Genesis, back to the basics. And really what Jesus is showing us is marriage 101. What does it take to have a great marriage? What does it take to have a marriage that lasts a lifetime? And why is it that many times we do not experience the joy in marriage that we so desire? Probably the big idea here in this passage is simply this. Marriage is more about giving yourself away than getting your way. I want you to think about that for just a minute. Marriage is more about giving yourself away than getting your way. You see, the, after about 30 years of ministry now, countless couples that I've 
counseled with, and of course, just being married for over 30 years, I can tell you that enemy number one in any marriage is selfishness. And it really starts off at the very beginning. You get this young couple, and they go, Pastor, we want you to do our pre-marriage counseling. Will you do that? And I say, absolutely. And so we sit down, and I say, tell me, why do you want to be married? And they look at each other, and they kind of giggle. Remember when you used to do that? And they go, and she looks at him, and she goes, well, he just, he just makes me laugh. He just makes me laugh. And he, and he holds my hand, and, and rubs my shoulders, and I just love that. And he looks at her, and he goes, and she's just so beautiful. She's just so beautiful and she's already and she makes you feel so good. That's why we want to be married. I usually go, bad idea, all right? Let me just crush all your hopes and dreams right now. Because at the center of that is you make me feel this way. I'm getting that from you. And, and so that's why I'm going to marry you because I expect you to do that for the rest of your life. I expect you to make me happy for the rest of your life, rub my back for the rest of your life, hey, tell funny jokes the rest of your life, and what's gonna happen when those jokes are corny and you've heard them a hundred times? And what are you gonna do when he doesn't want to rear fit anymore? And what, what's gonna do? What are you gonna do, guys, when she doesn't look the way she did when she was 25? What, do, what are you gonna do then? If that's what your marriage is based on, is what they're doing for you, you're in big trouble. You see, marriage is more about giving yourself away than getting your way. It's more about serving another, loving another, than it is about serving yourself or hoping that they will serve you. And really what Jesus is teaching here is how you give yourself away and how that is, seems so counterintuitive, but how that is a secret to a loving, lasting marriage. There are three words that I wanna give you. And I want you to jot these down. They're right out of this passage, okay? The first word Jesus gives us, back, back to basics, marriage 101, is the word leave, leave. Look at verse five. For this reason, a man shall leave or will leave his father and mother. I want you to circle that word leave there. In ancient times, all of life was wrapped around the family. Uh, it, they worked together, income was about the family, work was about the family, they, they, their proximity, they lived on the family farm, uh, they had the family land, uh, it was all about the family. Leadership was about the family, all that was there. And so when a young man wanted to take a wife, what he had to do was he had to leave the family of origin, he had to leave or put beside him his mother and father, and then to choose a wife and to then now prioritize that new family. That becomes his top priority. Now it is his job to love his family, to lead his family, to provide for his family, to protect his family, to shepherd his family spiritually. He's leaving the, the protection and care and provision of this family in order to now provide and care and protect and lead and love and shepherd his new family. That becomes his top priority. So listen, if a, if a young man wants to be married, if he's not willing to do all those things, then he's not ready to be married. He needs to stay single, right? Because if he's not willing to leave these things behind and prioritize his wife and his marriage and love and lead and shepherd and care and provide and protect, then he's not ready because that's his job. That's his role, period. 
Now listen, leaving father, father and mother doesn't mean that you don't uh, show up on the weekends or it doesn't mean that you don't uh, go show up for holidays. It doesn't mean that you don't call and check in. It doesn't mean that you ignore them, dishonor them. It doesn't mean any of that. It just means that your priority is your marriage. That's what that means. Your priority now from this point forward is this woman and your children and your family. That's your number one priority. He's not going to go back to that. Hey, dad, can you help me pay the bills? Hey, mom, can you make me feel good? Because she doesn't make me feel good. You know, hey, hey, you know. And also, it, it extends to leaving friends behind. It means leaving your old single life behind. It means that you can't go bowling every Monday like you used to, you know, and poker on Thursday and, and ball games every Saturday like you used to. You're married, for heaven's sake, right? So you leave those things behind and you prioritize your wife. And nothing, no interest, no pursuit, no relationship should ever take the place of your spouse. That's what he means. Now, by the way, it's not just for the guys. It's also for the ladies too. When a woman marries a man, she is to leave her mother and father and she is to uh, be with her husband and, and prioritize her husband and her marriage. We see this really clearly in a Christian marriage ceremony. Remember, you, you've seen it before. A father's going to walk his bride down the aisle or walk his daughter down the aisle, right? And he's going to stand there. And somewhere in the ceremony, this, this preacher is going to say these words. Who gives this woman to be married to this man? And the dad is going to look at her and he's going to go, was that? Well, let's say that one more time. Her mother and I, I said. And he's going to pull her veil back and he's going to kiss her on the cheek and he's going to step back and he's going to put them together. And that is a profound moment. That's a profound moment. Because basically he's saying, no longer you under my protection, you're under his protection. No longer under my provision, you're under his provision. No longer uh, are you going to look to me to watch over you. You're going to look to him to watch over you. There is a transference of her devotion and her priority to this new husband. That's what it means to leave. And Jesus said the first thing, and going all the way back to Genesis, the first thing that has to happen in a marriage is to leave. Now listen, I think a lot of times marriage struggle because they struggle to leave. Sometimes are, she's always going back to daddy or he's always calling mom. Or they're always going back to their other family because they had an argument and they want to go back and tell them what, ha what he did or what she did. And that's destructive to their marriage. Or they want to go to their friends or they want to keep hanging out. Or they want to keep doing the things they used to do. And they've not been willing to leave these things behind and step into this new priority and devotion of marriage. Let me ask you something. Is there anything in your marriage that your spouse thinks is more important than them? Is there anything in your marriage that your spouse thinks is more important than them? Is there a friendship they think is more important? Is there a career pursuit that's more important? Let me tell you what, this erodes a marriage day after day, month after month, year after year, and it will kill it. You must leave and say, you know what? You're my top priority. The second word that he says, and I'm, I want to give you, is the word cleave, cleave. 
All right, we find this reference in verse 5. For a man shall leave his mother and father and be joined to his wife. You can circle those two words, be joined. The Greek word kalao here means to glue together. It means to glue something together so much so that to pull it apart would cause damage. It glued together permanently. I call this the peanut butter and jelly uh, illustration of marriage. All right, let's just break it down here, all right? I love peanut butter and jelly, amen? There's my tribe right there. Cold glass of milk, peanut butter and jelly. It's gonna be in heaven, folks, every day. You're not gonna gain any weight. Anyway, and so you put peanut butter on one side, you put the jelly on the other side, it's a wonderful thing. They are completely separate and autonomous. They're wonderful. And you put them together, they make this wonderful combination, but guess what happens if you try to pull it apart? Do you get only peanut butter and only jelly and then? No, they're, they're mixed together. And that's what marriage is like. Marriage is two people coming together and they are bonded together. The word here for uh, join together, I said it means glue together. It also means to cling, write that down, to cling. It means to join, it means to cleave. King James Version says cleave, right? I just like it because it rhymes with leave, all right? Anyway, preacher problems. Uh, but listen, what it does not mean is that you're stuck in your marriage. I have a lot of people go, well, yeah, I'm cleaving, or I'm stuck in my marriage. Man, if I'd known what I knew then, now, you know, then what I know now that I, I would have never married him or I'd never married her, you know, I'm kind of stuck in my marriage now. That's not what this means. This means that you are clinging to this other person. It means you are pursuing this other person, that you want to be with them, that you are engaging with them, that you are taking action to move toward them. You are clinging to them so much so that nothing can tear you away. Are you clinging to your husband? Are you clinging to your wife? Are, are you leaving other things that would get in the way that they think is more important? Are you saying, you are so important to me and I'm clinging to you. That's what it means to, to leave and to cleave. Now, there's a lot wrapped up in this clinging. Let me just give you a couple of thoughts here very quickly. One is that this clinging or the cleaving, if you will, is it really has a lot to do with covenant and commitment. When you get married, you are in a covenant that God has joined together. In fact, in verse six, it says what God is joined together literally means yoked together, fitted together. What God has done, let no man separate. That somehow God creates in, this, in that moment a covenant that is intended to be permanent and a covenant before God and before friends. That's why we have a marriage ceremony. That's why we don't wanna rush through a marriage ceremony and act like it's not a big deal. It is a big deal. This is a covenant being cut together that is eternal. And there's a commitment to that covenant. It's a, it's a mysterious thing, really, that two will become one. When you two people walk into the chapel, right? And uh, two individuals walk into the chapel, but they leave as one before God. So this clinging has to do with your commitment and your, your covenant that you made with this person. Another thing this clinging uh, brings to mind is, is really care and communication that not only are you in a covenant with this person, which can sound very kind of stale and uh, sterile, 
and emotionless, but it means that you are devoted to them, that you are doing life with them, that you are communicating and living life with this person. Malachi, the Old Testament prophet, was confronting people because of their failed marriages, because the husbands were unfaithful. And this is what he says in Malachi 2.14, the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and wife by covenant. Not only is she your wife, but she's your companion. She's your friend. She's the one that knows you, and you know, and you share life with together. And so part of this clinging is intentionally pursuing, communicating, opening up your heart, loving, caring for them, attention, affection, all those things. You know, when Liz and I were first married, probably in our first year of marriage, it was a little rough because we were young and we didn't really understand these things. And uh, I remember one time she said, Craig, we just don't ever spend any time together. I said, what are you talking about? She goes, well, we just don't ever spend any time together. I was like, what do you mean? We're together all the time. I said, in fact, I can prove it to you. On Monday night, we watched football together. On Tuesday, uh, we went to the grocery store together. On Wednesday, we went to church together. On Thursday, we went to this event together. And, And I thought what she meant was together just means that our bodies are in the same space. I didn't know that's not what she was talking about. She was thinking at a much deeper level, guys, than we tend to think, all right? She meant together, like attention, like communication, like affection, like we're not connecting together. It took me about three years to figure that out, all right? But listen, that's what your wife needs. That's what your husband needs. Are you connecting together? This clinging not only means you're committed in covenant, but you're, you're committed to communicate and share life together. And then one, one other thing just about this clinging together uh, is just the fact of common goals in ministry. I, I find that marriages that have, are great seem to prioritize worshiping together and they prioritize serving together. And they're not like, okay, you go here and I go there and everything's separate and we just kind of meet in the evenings but that we actually serve together, we minister together, we worship together, and the more they do things together, the more it brings them together, see? That's what it means to cling. Let me ask you something. Are are you leaving things behind? Does your spouse think there's something more important than them? And are you intentionally pursuing each other, clinging to each other, wanting and pursuing each other. Marriages that leave well and cleave well do this last thing well, and that is the word intimacy. Intimacy. Leaving and cleaving produces intimacy. When you don't leave and you don't cleave, it produces separation and distance. Look at what Jesus said in verse five. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother be joined his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. I want you to circle the words one flesh. It appears twice. Verse five and verse six. One flesh, one in every possible way. One physically, one emotionally, one spiritually, one flesh. This word that we could use for that is intimacy. Intimacy. 
that you finally experience intimacy. I had somebody tell me one time that intimacy is literally into me see. Look into my life and know me and share life with me. Are you experiencing oneness and intimacy in your marriage? Do you know each other? Do you long to be with each other? Do you ache when you're separated from each other? If your answer is not so much, then maybe there needs to be some leaving and there needs to be some cleaving for intimacy to happen. Let me give you some, some practical things. I, I know I'm just about out of time here. Let me give you some just bullet point practical things on how to leave and how to cleave well, all right? These are things that I've seen in common uh, with marriages that struggle and, and marriages that are good actually follow these principles. So let me give you just some practical things. I'll call this Craigslist on marriage, all right? Uh, number one, be present. In other words, put the phone down. If you're constantly on the couch scrolling, if you're constantly in the bed scrolling and you're not present with your wife or with your husband, if you're constantly on the computer, if you're always you know, in the other room or you're honestly in your office working on projects and you're not present, you can never cleave together. Be present. Number two, pray together. One thing that might change things in your marriage is if once a day you just grabbed your wife by the hand and said, hey, before we leave for the day, let me just pray for you. All right, before you go to sleep, hey, let me just pray for you. Or even at a meal just together to grab your hand and pray over your wife or pray for your husband when you know he's in a stressful situation to just pray for him. Number three, uh, prioritize date nights. You need to date your spouse till you die. All right? Welcome to First Colleyville. You need to date your spouse till you die. Now, if you don't have children at home, your date nights need to be once a week. You need to go on a once a week date night. That means out, no, no distractions, focused on your spouse. Date nights. Now, if you got kids at home, you may say, I can't do it once a week. So maybe it's every other week or every third week, and you're going to work that out. There's a lot of things with multiple kids going on. But let me tell you what if you fail to date your wife when the kids are at home, you may not want to date your wife when the kids are gone. You know what I mean by that? Because the, the marriage will have eroded to the point that when the kids are gone, you don't really know each other. Don't make that mistake. Date her now. Date him now. Make that a top priority. That's probably the best thing Liz and I ever did was we had date nights and we told our kids, I'm dating your mommy and she's the most important thing in my life. And we're giving you a sitter and you're gonna stay here with a sitter. And they say, okay, daddy, you know, and uh, date, date. Number four, go to bed together. You know, when one goes to bed, the other one stays up in the other room or whatnot. I just think that that is, that is opportunity for trouble. Go to bed together, wake up together. It'll be a joy in your life. Number five, do ministry together. Find something you can minister together and do together. Even if it's an event, let's go on that mission trip together. Let's, let's work at Adventure Week together. Let's volunteer over in this area. Let's do the, uh, the sewer serving project together. As you work together, it bonds you together. Uh, number six, have fun. When was the last time you did something fun together? When was the last time you surprised her or surprised him and you did something crazy and fun that we, where you just laughed, all right? Intentionally think of stuff. If you can't figure it out, Google it, all right? Surely you can come up with some idea. All right, do something fun. Number seven, listen before you talk. 
Wow, that would, that would have saved me a lot of arguments. Listen, before I speak, before I debate, before I try to win the argument, before I try to pick holes in what they're saying, just what are they saying? Is there truth in it? Listen before you talk. Number eight, speak life to each other. Don't criticize. You should never criticize your spouse in front of other people, ever. They should never be the butt of your joke. They should never be, you know, for a cheap laugh, something negative you say about them. Ever, ever, ever. You should always be building up and building up and building up and building up. Listen, the world is tearing your spouse down all day long. When they come home, they need somebody that's going to speak life into them and build them up and say, I'm proud of you and you're so good at this. And I'm so glad you're my husband. I'm so glad you're my wife. Speak life. Number nine, no secrets. Listen, your spouse should have access to your phone, to your emails, to your accounts, to everything. There should be no secrets. I'm not a fan of separate uh, social media accounts. Liz and I have one Facebook account and we do all that together. And I, I just think that the more you separate, the more opportunity there is to keep secrets and secrets kill. No secrets. No secrets. And the last one is be quick to forgive. Be quick to forgive. You know, lasting marriages are made up of two really good forgivers that forgive one another when we fail and really seek to make their marriage more about giving myself to you, giving myself away than having my way. Would you bow your heads with me for a minute? I know our time is gone, but just in these few moments, would you just ask God to show you what's one thing, if you could change one thing in your marriage about you and what you do, what would it change? I'm not saying what you'd change about your spouse. I'm saying what's one thing that maybe even as you've listened through this and God's been speaking to you, the spirit of God's been prompting you, what's the one thing that needs to happen this week? Maybe it's needs to put your hand on your wife's hand and say, honey, let me just pray for you. Or to intentionally speak life into her. Or maybe say, hey, we're gonna, get, we're gonna plan out our date nights for the next six weeks. Maybe it's, you know, honey, I, I've let some things crowd out and make more important our relationship. I've had a, friendship or a, or a career or something that's gotten in the way. And I just want you to know you're the most important thing in my life. Listen, guys, time is short. Life is short. Don't wait. Say it now. Do it now. Cling to her now. Cling to him now. Father, I thank you for your love for us that you left heaven and you came to this earth and you pursued us with an eternal love even to the point of going to the cross and making a covenant at the cross. And even now those who trust you, Lord, can find intimacy and oneness with you. Lord, you showed us how to love. You showed us what it looks like. 
And so, Lord, I pray for every marriage in this room. For those that are strong, Lord, increase their strength. For those that are hurting and struggling, God, I pray you breathe new life and new hope into them as they put your word into action in their marriage. And for those that are stalled out, God, I pray that by leaving and cleaving, there would be a new wind of love that flows through their home. Lord, we know the enemy is prowling, seeking people to devour. Lord, I pray that you would fill us with your spirit. Lord, your word says you you pour out your love into our hearts by your spirit. So Lord, fill us up so that we can pour out love to those in our life. We love you, Lord Jesus. We pray this in your name and for your sake. And all God's people said, amen.